through this, we've looked at the conversion last week of Saul, right? Uh, a man who once hunted down and killed Christians. Now we see that he has calling Jesus his Lord, his Savior, and he has become the very one that he was actually hunting after. If you look at how God works, there's humor there all the time. His life um, from this point would really be forever changed. It's going to take a hard turn. And at the end of this passage where we were last week, we saw that he, he regained his sight, he received the Holy Spirit, and he was baptized. And this week we're going to look at the active work of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be led by the Spirit, what Saul's life looked like when God got a hold of him and he finally submitted to who he was. And for the next three years, we're going to look at this section as three years of his life. So we get this big chunk of Saul's life and what's going on and what it looks like when he submits them. And we're going to see how the Holy Spirit works in him and ultimately in all believers. Now, I want to give a disclaimer because I like to put expectations out there because if I don't give you my expectations, you will fill yours in that spot and then we have a problem. In your notes, you may see that it's not blank this week. The sermon notes actually have things on them. There's little stuff there. Um, I am trying to stretch myself on a regular basis. And if you don't think I am, talk to Mark. He'll tell you that I have worked hard to stretch myself this week. Now, my expectation is this. We try different things all the time because I'm trying to find a way to serve you best for you to learn, for you to grow, for you to stay focused on God's Word. I am not promising that this will be here every week. Please hear me. I love you enough to say if it's not there, it's not because I don't love you. It's because that may not have worked that week. So we're trying our best to love and to serve you. Um, let's go ahead and read God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to keep chugging through 9. You can follow on the screen if you'd like. You can grab one of the Bibles in, in front of you if you need one of those. If you don't have one, take it, keep it, read it. We'd love for you to have that. All right, starting in verse 20. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increasing all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus and proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket." And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when, they, when his brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into this section. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I'm not sure what you're going to do among your people this morning, but I ask that you would move mightily in them, that you would 
comfort them, that you would bring them encouragement, that you would convict them where they need to let go of things in their life. But Lord, I do ask that they would be a men and a women that are marked by being led by the Holy Spirit, that they would be submitting to you every day of their life. Holy Spirit, if there are things that I have written down that are not from you, I ask that you would take those away. I ask that you would remove those from my notes. If there's things that I need to say that you would allow me to be bold, as Saul was bold, as he was filled with the Spirit, to proclaim the truth that needed to be proclaimed. And I ask that you would ultimately be glorified and your name would be lifted up. I pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. All right. So the first thing that I want to look at that we see that takes place in the life of Saul and the life of believers is the Holy Spirit transforms us. Here's the thing. Um, if you are saved, you are going to look different. Things are going to change about who you are and what you do and how you live. Now, if we're honest, sometimes it can be hard to see those changes in someone right off the bat when they come to Jesus. And maybe it's a little bit slower for others. Sometimes that moves faster. But what we find is this, that the Holy Spirit always transforms those that He's saved. As they've been given a new heart, they will start to live out of that new heart. And that new heart will cause them to live in a way that reflects more and more of who Jesus Christ is in their life. But here's what I love about how God has made each and every one of us. God has uniquely made each and every one of us and who we are and what we've gone through and what's been allowed in our lives. And there's something about each of us that makes us who we are. Yet as God transforms us, there's still the uniqueness of who we are and our personality that's a part of that. You may wonder, like, Simon, you laugh a lot and you joke a lot. That's a part of who I am. God didn't strip that from me and make me frowny face, Simon, once I started preaching and came to Jesus. He still allowed me to be who I am. And if you've been in the office, you know that we laugh a lot. We enjoy life. That's who we are. But what is cool is that Saul gives us this picture. There's this immediate radical transformation in Saul's life where we see what can happen when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of someone. And that he walks into this city doing one thing, which is, I'm going to go kill people. And then as he gets in there, he starts proclaiming. And pre it's almost like two different people. It's literally like you have two different people and what they're doing and what they're a part of. And it says that he got to work immediately. Immediately, when he was healed, he went to the synagogues. By the way, these were the synagogues that he had been given papers to, to go to, to get help with their Christian problems, right? So now he goes there and like, ah, good, Saul's here. Wait, what'd you just say, man? Like all of a sudden he's talking about Jesus. Like, he is Lord. He is the Christ. Let me show you. Like, this is a weird strategy to like, are you trying to like get them together? Then get them? They're not. He's just preaching Jesus. And they're kind of like, hey, uh, that's the guy who's supposed to stop this kind of preaching. That's the guy who is supposed to come in and destroy this following of Jesus, and yet he's not. And what we see, it's very similar to what happened to Peter at Pentecost, wasn't it? He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he starts preaching the message of Jesus to them. The once coward now became the bold preacher. He was changed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and there was something about him that transformed him into who he was. Now, if we can just be honest, the old life, it wants, its, it wants the throne back, doesn't it? 
It wants the driver's seat back. It wants to be in charge. Like your old self doesn't give up real easy. And there's always those temptations, those draws back to that old life. And we have to understand that there's things that, that God does in our heart that stomps those out, that kills those. In Galatians 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 25, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Just before that, he has another list of what it looks like to live in the flesh, to live in the old life. I'm not going to read it all, but there's not a lot of good things there. I'm just going to throw that out. And it's talking about this idea that if you have the Spirit of God, you can now live differently. You can produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. This new life is in submission to the Holy Spirit that transforms us into the image of Jesus. And some would say, well, Simon, that sounds real great. Thanks for the verse. How do I kill the old life? Because isn't that the question? How do I stop doing these things? Well... It's by living in the new one. If you want to kill the old life, you have to live in the new one. And it becomes this moment of putting aside your desires, your wants, and resting in the Spirit and being obedient and following Him and believing what He said is true. That if He has given you a new heart, He will give you the ability to live that out. And so... At the end of each one of these points, I want to try to throw a question out for you that you can think about, that you can bring to your groups this week and talk about in life groups. The first one is this. Does your life look different than it used to? Does your life look different? And what I mean by this, like, if you were to look back last year and go, this was my life last year, what's it look like this year? Are there differences? Are there things that you've seen grow in your life? Um, God is always growing us in our life. For me right now, God is just teaching me patience. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And he's like, Simon, I need you to be patient. And you know what's funny? I keep going, God, that's fine. I want to learn patience. Could you just hurry it up? <laughs> he's like, no, silly man. It's not going to be hurried up. You're going to learn patience. You're going to learn that your speed isn't necessarily the speed that I want you to move at. That you're going to have to slow down and be okay with walking at the pace that I've called you to. He's transforming me, and it's hard, but I trust him, and so I'm going to believe what he said is true. The second thing is the Holy Spirit gives us strength and boldness to proclaim Jesus. It's, it's interesting, Saul's knowledge has been ignited by the Holy Spirit. All of his learning, all his memorization, all of his studies, and now he's preaching in such a way that the men and women could not keep up with him that were there. So he goes into the synagogue, and he just starts laying in to Jesus being the Christ. And what I love is this, it's, it's always hard to share Jesus if someone is from a different religion who has a different book that they follow, Right? But when you're in the same book and you can show all the things, he's like, oh, oh, we all are talking about the same God. We're all talking about the same law. We're all talking about the same scripture. And he is just going after it. They, they couldn't defend against his argument that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't have it within them. They couldn't keep up in that sense. So he preached from the very words that they knew that they memorized to show that Jesus was who he said he was. 
it says that they were confounded, meaning that they were speechless, that they were um, incapacitated by the argument. That's what the word, actually, if you break it down, they're incapacitated by the argument. There was no way they could do anything. They had nothing to say. Now, someone would say, well, that's Saul, Simon. He was really smart. He had memorized the Bible. He had all this information. I'm not Saul, and so that's great for him, but that's different for me. But here's the thing. It wasn't about Saul. What had changed in Saul's life? Something had drastically changed in his life to where he was doing what he was doing. He was filled with the Spirit. That's what allowed that to happen. See, Saul was bold, and we saw this happen um, in Acts there was this section where that happens in Acts 4, and it's Acts 4.31, right? We read through this not too long ago. It says, and when they, that's the, um, the believers and the disciples were there, when they had prayed uh, in uh, the place in which they were gathered together, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. They spoke with boldness. They prayed to be bold. They prayed that God would fill them in that way. And what I love is this, is that to be bold means this, that they are speaking the truth and they are not afraid of the consequences that will come because of that. So they're like, I don't care what happens to me. I'm so bold with what God has called me to do. That doesn't matter what happens. So I'm going to speak with total disregard to what happens to me. That's what it means to be bold. And so the disciples were doing that early on. Peter was doing that early on. And now Saul's doing that. And it's all because they were filled with the Holy Spirit to have the strength to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says the place shook. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So I was encouraged this week. Um, I, I get... I get letters, and I get emails, and sometimes you guys pull me off to the side, and you're sharing what God's doing in your life. Let me tell you something. Please keep doing that. It is such gas in the tank to see how God is working in your life through his word, that God is speaking to you in a way that is causing you to live differently, to be bold, and to stretch yourself. And so I was talking with Lori Forsyth this week, and uh, if you don't know her, she is awesome. She is amazing. She serves on the security team. Uh, fantastic woman of God. And she came up to me and she said, hey, I want to share this story with you. I think you would really uh, appreciate it. I said, well, I, I love stories. Tell me. She says, so I was with my dad, who's not a believer, and we were out doing something. And uh, this, this conversation came up and basically she said, uh, thank you, Jesus, is what she said. It's just a very simple comment that just flowed off of her tongue. And her dad said, why would you thank Jesus for this? And she said, I don't know what happened, Simon. Something came over me. I just opened my mouth, and as natural as breathing, I just started sharing who Jesus Christ is. That he came, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he has purchased us from death, that he absorbed the wrath of God, that we've been justified by him, and that he died for me, that he has died for you, and that anyone that calls on his name can be saved. It's like, it was crazy. I just started talking, and I shared. I'm like, man, it seems like we're in the right passage for us to be talking about this, Right? It's like, this is what happened, and I just want you to know, like, this is what it means to, to trust God, to step out boldly. Can I just be, can I be honest? It can be scary to share Jesus sometimes, right? It can be scary to know that, hey, I like this person, they're my friend, but what if they're not after I then tell them that they're a sinner that needs to be saved by Jesus? That's not a very popular thing to say sometimes. What do you mean I'm wrong? I'm great. No, you're not. Wait, what? And that's, see, that goes sideways real quick. 
And so even I go, God, give me the power. Give me the strength. Give me the boldness to do what you've called me to do. And so my next question is this. Have you asked God to give you boldness and strength to share the message with the world around you? Have you asked that? Because here's the thing. If you try to do it in your own power, you're going to get human results. You're going to get results that, that aren't that amazing. They're not that great, to be perfectly honest. But if you step out in faith, you believe what God said, you trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say, to love them the way that Jesus loved them, you're going to see God-sized results in those moments. Now, there's no guarantees. It's not my eloquent words. It's not your eloquent words. It's the Holy Spirit's prompting. But yet he has included us in taking his message forward. What a great privilege that is. What a great honor that is for every Christian to know that God has included us in this. Now, as I was reading this section, I'll say this. It, there's a lot of moving parts in this passage. There's a lot of things that are going on, and um, I really had to wrestle through the timeline and what was happening with Saul. Because there's a lot of things that are happening, and, and what I found is that Saul's going to speak about this event as well multiple times in different passages. And what we can find is we get a more clearer picture if we bring all of those passages together to understand what was going on in Saul's life at this time. And so I'm just going to kind of read through it. David was kind enough to make it look organized, what I'm about to say. So any organization is from David, not from me. So this is kind of the flow in what happens in his life. And I'm going to read some of the passages so you know that I'm not making them up. All the references are there so you can go with those. So the first one that we see is really clear, as we read about this last week, is in Acts 9.3. We see that Saul goes to Damascus. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So we know that that's where he went and, and what went on. And then it says that he stayed in Damascus, preaching and proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. We just read that, uh, verses uh, 20 through 22, but I'll just read 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. So, comes to Damascus, stays in Damascus. Now, this is where it just takes kind of a turn in what's going on in his life. It says that we have this section in Galatians. Uh, it's Galatians 1. Let me get there real quick. Galatians 1, 17, uh, 15 through 17. I'll read all of it, and then we'll kind of get there. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But... I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So now there's this moment where Saul is, he's in Damascus, he's doing his thing, he's preaching, and then he just kind of takes off for this extended amount of time. We don't know how long it was, we don't know what was going on, but we know that he goes to Damascus. And he's there for a little while, and then if you read again, it says, and then return to Damascus. So he's in Damascus, he goes to the Arabian desert, and then he comes back to Damascus, and then we see that there's a plot to kill him. So that, you know, that turns sideways real quick. And so it says in verse 24, 
But when uh, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were uh, watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. So now we find out they're going to kill him in Second Corinthians eleven thirty two uh, through thirty. Uh, 33. We see that as well, that he talks about how the king wanted to have him killed. And so they're like, they're plotting to figure it out. We're going to kill him. And then it says that he's lowered in a basket. And verse 26 in Acts says that he, was, uh, he goes to Jerusalem. And when he had come to Jerusalem. So this whole process that we're talking about is three years. There's a three-year stint in Saul's life where he's going, he is loving Jesus, he is proclaiming Jesus, he's moving around. Now, why do I share all that information? Like, you're like, that seems like you've really detoured. Well, A, I think it's important for us to understand what's going on in his life. I want us to also understand that these verses we just read are th- a three-year stint. Sometimes we can read a verse and go, oh, that happened the next day, or three years, or 40 years. We just don't know, but now we do. So we can look at there's something going on in his life that we can understand more. I also want to stop on the fact that God does some interesting things here. And, and you got to ask the question, why was there an extended amount of time of isolation and solitude that Saul went through? Why is that important? Well, I started studying that idea this week, and I was looking through uh, kind of different stories in God's Word and where that landed. And it's just kind of like there's this training manual that God has for people at times. When big events are about to take place, when God's about to do something really massive, whether that's for the community, for the people, whatever, that there are these moments of solitude and isolation where God starts working on the hearts of those involved. Here's a few examples in case you think I am making these things up. Moses. 40 years in Midian, right? He was in there for 40 years. So 40 years he was in Egypt, 40 years he was in Midian, 40 years he came back with the people. So we see there's a 40-year period where he's there. Now, he's not alone, but he's outside of everything he knows. His world has changed. We actually know that he, he gets married. He has kids while he's there. He has a job. He's tending sheep and stuff like that. Uh, we see that David. David was on the run for 13 years. He's promised to be the king, right? You're going to be the king. And then he's there and Saul's like, hey, I'm going to kill you. Different Saul, by the way, just in case you were wondering about that. And he's like, on the run, going living in caves and living in the wilderness. 13 years. Now, he wasn't necessarily alone either. He had other men that were coming along him that, that would fight with him to help him stay alive. But he was outside of his normal pace of life. There was a difference. There was something that had taken place. Joseph, uh, two years in prison. That, that was rough. You know, he's like, I interpret dreams. Don't forget me. Okay. The guy forgets him. And he's sitting there in that cell. Elijah at the river that dried up was around three years that he was there where the ravens brought him food in the morning and food in the evening before he would go and confront Jezebel and all those things that were going on. John the Baptist in the wilderness. A lot of John the Baptist's life was in the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. And now we have Saul in the Arabian desert. And what I love is that this isolation is an anti-community. So don't mishear what I'm saying. But what I found is this, is that every time that God does that, he gets these people alone and spends time with them so they can serve the community. To prepare them to show like what God is going to do for them. Let me ask why. Well, I believe This is about that they would learn reliance on God to strengthen them for the task that they were called to do. That God was working on their hearts to see that he was the one that was preparing them. That he was the one that was giving them what they needed. It was the boot camp for their soul that they would trust God with every step of their life. 
And so when the hard times would come, they wouldn't falter at all because they'd already seen God provide in those moments. And they were grounded in the work of God, not the work of themselves. Always pointing to God and His glory, not their way. I mean, there have been a number of times where I've gone out. My, my wife sometimes says, do you need to go get alone with God? And what she means is go get in your Jeep and go drive out into the woods and go camp for a day or two. Because she knows that that's good for me. It's not because she doesn't like me. She does like me. So if you're worried about our marriage, we're good. But she wants me to go away because here's what happens. I go and I listen to God. I talk with God. I bring my Bible. I don't bring like, you know, oh, I got my YouTube and Netflix. And I'm going to go, that's not what I'm doing. I'm going out there with my Bible and I kind of wrestle with God a bit. And I read his scripture and I pray to him and I get away from everybody else so I can just hear God's voice. And I've done this at different seasons in my life and at different tasks before me. Sometimes God calls me out of what I would call is comfortable. When I first moved to the desert in Palmdale to go do work out there in ministry, like we, had a, we really liked our church. We liked where we were. We, everything was going really well. And then we went out to a place where we knew nobody. And God refined and worked on our heart. And that was, I think, really a time for Annette and I to trust God and to learn what it meant to, to fully trust Him in everything. And then He says, hey, I want you to go to Seattle. And so now it's not just Annette and I that are having to trust God again, but now our boys are having to learn what it looks like to trust God. They felt the sting of having to move. And during that time, God strengthened our relationship with God and made them ask questions of God that maybe they wouldn't have asked before. It strengthened our family together in that time. So my next question is this, do you seek solitude to hear from God? Do you seek solitude to hear from God, to trust Him? And, and I, guess, I guess there's a pre-question to that, isn't there? Do you want to hear from God? <laughs> do you ask God, do you want to use me? How do you want to use me, God? How do you want to grow me? How do you want to shape me right now? Like, what, what's going on there? Are you, maybe, maybe you're like, Simon, I am in a season of solitude. I'm in a season of isolation. My world is kind of thrown upside down right now, and it feels like it's just me and God. Even though I'm around people, even though I'm around community, I feel alone, I feel isolated. When I talk to people, I say, well, what is God trying to teach you? Because chances are God is preparing you for something that he's calling you to do in this season. And here's the thing. Until you learn it, he's not going to have you do that thing. Have you asked God, what do you want to show me? And maybe that's, I don't know what you are all going through, but maybe that's what God wants to tell you right now. Like, ask me and I'll tell you. I'll show you what I want you to learn, what I want you to, to think about right now. Three, the Holy Spirit guides us and protects us. I have some verses here that you can look up on your own or for your life groups. You can look at these. Romans 8, 14, John 16, 13, Acts 8, 27 through 29, Acts 16, 6. Um, those are verses that you can, you can go look up and you can see how, how the Holy Spirit guides and protects. Now, it's funny how the very thing that Paul was doing to Christians is the very thing that's happening to him now. I love that part of the story. He preaches the truth. They can't refute it. So what do they do? Well, let's just kill him. That'll make sense. That's, that's an easy way to get out. So they have this plot to have him killed. And so Saul gets word of it. And he takes off. Now, here's what's interesting. If you know Saul, who becomes Paul later, 
That's not his M.O., is it? Saul's the kind of guy that presses into danger, that presses into difficult situations. Like one point he gets like, they stone him, they throw him outside of the, the city. They're like, oh, he's dead. And he's like, oh, I'm okay. Let's go back. And he goes back in the city. Like that's like, we're, this, is, this doesn't seem like the same Saul. It's a different guy. So why does he take off? I believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding him in this moment to say, not yet. Jesus has called you to preach to the Jews. He's called you to preach to the kings. And he's called you to preach to the Gentiles. And all those things haven't happened yet. It's like, so I'm going to take you to do something else right now. I'm going to move you someplace else. We would see later on that Saul, uh, he wants to go into an area, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go in there, not yet. He's like, okay. So we see that the Holy Spirit guides him. And so this is what happens. His buddies, they grab him, they stick him in a basket, they hang him outside of a window, and they're like, all right, split. <laughs> like, that's kind of a crazy little scene. Now, as I was studying this, and I was praying about this, something kind of interesting sort of poked out to me. And I'm always trying to find connection points all throughout the Bible. I'm trying to see how things uh, connect in different ways. But I feel like God has always given these nods to things that he has done from the Old Testament and the New Testament all the time. And as I was studying this section, uh, we already talked about Moses. I thought about Moses. Moses was uh, someone who was going to die as an infant, and so his mom made a basket, right? And so to save him from dying, he was placed in a basket and floated down the river, and then he did something. Interesting enough about Moses is that Moses became one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament, didn't he? He wrote the Pentateuch. Traditionally, it says that he wrote the first five books of the Bible. And so he goes, and he goes to a people and says, I want to show you a God that wants to be in relationship with you, and he's going to make a covenant with you so you can be in relationship with that God. Pretty interesting. Now we see Paul right now, and Paul is lowered in a basket so he won't die, so he'll be saved. He becomes one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament about a God that's pursued them through their son, Jesus Christ, so they could be in relationship with God. And I'm like, what? is going on. Like, God, you're doing what you said you're going to do, and you keep showing us that you haven't changed your plan. You started with a small group of individuals, and now you've expanded to the world so the world would be in relationship with you. And what I, what I think is, is this. Have you asked God where he's guiding you? Have you asked God what he's doing in your life? Do you want to be guided by God? Maybe you're like, well, I just read about this Saul guy, and like they said he's going to suffer, and it's going to be tough, and it doesn't seem very fun. No, I, I don't. But Saul understood who Jesus was, and he was worth every bit of suffering that would come from it. Maybe you're in that spot like Saul was last week, where Jesus said, why do you kick against the goads? It's hard to kick against the goads. Maybe you're kicking against the goads because you don't want God to guide you. And he is saying, let me guide you. Let me show you what real life looks like. After three years of this crazy ministry, God leads him finally to the apostles in Jerusalem. God was doing what he wanted. And, and I, I love, there's something that, Paul doesn't go and ask permission of the apostles and the disciples of, 
hey, can I go share Jesus? You ever notice that? No, you don't need permission to share Jesus. He's like, Jesus told me to share. I'm going to go share. So he's sharing and sharing and sharing. Then he goes to Jerusalem. It wasn't like he went to get permission. He had to leave. But after three years of spreading the gospel in Damascus, the disciples don't believe him. Not, not at all. So here's the fourth point I want to bring up is the Holy Spirit brings unity. At this point, Paul, under the direction of his flesh, has brought disunity. There was no unity that was brought through his actions, through his desires, through his will. Now, let's be clear. I'm sure every single one of us would have our doubts about Saul and his love for Jesus if we were in their boots, our sandals. But what I love is that the Holy Spirit uses Barnabas to be a witness of all the great things the Holy Spirit was doing through Saul now. And I want to... I think that we miss like, oh yeah, they should have trusted him. Can I just point something out? Saul was killing their friends. It wasn't like, you unfriended me on Facebook and I'm mad at you. Killing their friends. Torturing their friends that they loved and cared for. Putting them in jail. Dragging them out of their house. That's who Saul was. They knew the men and women that were being persecuted. This is crazy. Like, we're like, no, you have done something like that to me. And I would, I'm going to go on a limb here. That you don't have someone who's killed a bunch of your family members based on following Jesus. And maybe you have, and I want to hear that story for sure. But chances are most of us haven't. And yet we see that the Holy Spirit brings forgiveness and unity. You're like, there's no way I could do that. And you're right, there is no way you could do that. It's only through the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to forgive the way that God forgave us and bring unity in a way that doesn't look, look any different. There's this movie called End of the Spear. Just go watch it and just see what God did through that. If you're a missionary buff, that makes a lot of sense. But there's forgiveness on a level that you couldn't even imagine in that story. Go, go watch that or read that. So what we see is that they do forgive him. He's welcome to come and go among the disciples, preaching and teaching Jesus throughout Jerusalem. Now, as he was preaching, he disputed the Hellenists. Now, this is a different group of individuals that we talked about uh, with Damascus and the, the widows that were Hellenists. A little bit different. I'm not going to get into all that. But again, they couldn't defend the truth that Saul was bringing of Jesus as the Christ. So what do they do? Let's just kill the guy. There's like, that's going to be a theme in his life that's going to happen over and over again. But because the Holy Spirit brought unity and brotherhood to that group of disciples and Saul, they warned him so he wouldn't be caught and he wouldn't be killed the very guy that had killed their friends, that you would kind of maybe be like, man, I hope that God just takes care of that guy. He did, but now they, he saves him to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. And instead of having him killed, they have him saved. That's crazy that that's the kind of unity the Holy Spirit brings between people. So it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done or who you are, that God is the God of unity, bringing his family together. Here's my question for this one. Is there a place in your life where you need to seek unity with a brother or a sister in Christ? Maybe it is someone who has sinned against you. 
Like, I could never forgive them. But just look at how Saul was forgiven. Well, you don't understand what they did to me. I don't understand what they did to you. But I understand what the Holy Spirit allows us to do. Maybe you're the one who has sinned greatly against somebody. And maybe you need to put down your pride and go and say, I have sinned against you. I am sorry. We are meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are to be an example of the unity of Jesus as our foundation. At the end of this passage, this really cool thing happens in verse 31. So, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had preached, uh, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. As the Holy Spirit is working in the life of Saul, we see that there is multiplication, that there is comfort. So the fifth thing is the Holy Spirit brings comfort and peace. See, the church is being built up. I looked at the word for peace in, in the original language. It's harmonious relations and freedom from disputes, especially during absence of war. If there's one thing that I have not seen in many churches is a lack of disputes. <laughs> You've been around church, there's always someone arguing about something. I like this, or I like that, or I don't like this, or we should do this, or we should do that. There's always a little bit of the grumbling going on, right? But it's saying that as they were all submitting to the Holy Spirit, as they were all focused on Jesus, Jesus, there was peace among them. The church was so unified that they were not arguing. And they lived in harmony with one another and they cared for each other. And that is a beautiful picture of what happens. They would experience the peace that uh, he would talk about later in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Oop, there we are. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. They are experiencing the peace that only God can give. Let's be clear, it's not like there wasn't a ton of pressure and persecution going on during that time. It wasn't like, and everything was great and there were no problems. And they all skipped around merrily. And that's not what was going on at all. There was a lot of hardship. So how can they have peace? How can they have comfort when things are hard? See, we think of comfort, we think, oh, it means my life is going great. They had peace and comfort in spite of the circumstances going on around them, which allowed them to live in a very different way, in a hostile world where there is constant conflict. What if, what if we lived this way? What if we lived led by the Holy Spirit in this way? I mean, let's be honest. We live in a day and an age where it seems like everyone has to hate everyone, and every channel and every different opinion wants you to see the other person as the enemy. Watching the news is not fun anymore. Reading the paper just feels like a battlefield, doesn't it? That there is so much conflict and anger and hate against every single one of us. That, but here's the thing. If our focus is on Jesus and bringing him honor, then the political landscape actually doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, the political landscape being the way it is now actually helps us show Jesus. 
because we live in such contrast to how the world should actually live that they have to go, why are you being so loving? Why are you being so kind? Why are you serving? Why are you giving? You're supposed to hate me. I have a different opinion. Do you see that when this conflict arises, that it gives us a great, huge opportunity to show what the love of Christ looks like when we put aside these things that God is working on and figuring out? See, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it can get really easy to get focused on all the supernatural things and the miracles and the tongue. We can, we can focus on all that stuff. And we have that in the Bible. We see that. And we can understand that. But the point and the function of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus and testify Him about being the Christ. That is the point of the Holy Spirit. That's why God has given us the Holy Spirit. And if you've noticed in this passage, everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit is doing just that. They are pointing to Christ in everything. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they get bold, they go out, they proclaim, and people want to kill them. Where in your life are you seeking comfort and peace? Where in your life do you desire the comfort and peace that you don't have right now? And I was thinking about that question. I'm like, that's also a flip side question, isn't it? Because where are you trying to find that comfort and peace? Are you trying to find it in money, in relationships, in family, in power, in how you look, and how smart you are? your spiritual knowledge. Because here's the thing. All of those things are like kind of good things. They're, they're morally neutral things, right? Some are great. But every single one of those will actually make a horrible God. And it will fail you at some point in your life. And as you are looking for this kind of peace in your life when situations are hard, when you're looking for a comfort that you can't seem to find and you're placing in the wrong thing, that is God saying, I created that to point to me. I didn't create that so you would worship it. I want you to see how good I am. The Spirit's not about building you up. It's about lifting the name of Jesus up in everything. And when we see this happen, when, we, when this is the focus of God's people, we see that it multiplies. We saw it in Jerusalem and Damascus and Judea and Samaria. And you know what's great? God is doing that today. In Laguna Woods, in Laguna Hills, in Elisa Viejo, in Lake Forest, in Laguna Niguel, in Orange County, in California, in the U.S., and in the entire world, he's doing that right now. His message is spreading everywhere. Christian, hear me. Let your life be a life that's led by the Spirit, that He would do a transformational work in your life, that He would strengthen and bolden you, that He would give you the protection and the guidance that you're looking for, that He would bring the unity that you want so desperately, and that He would bring the comfort and the peace that you need in this life to continue. My non-Christian friends, those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I would tell you that you are looking for something that we all desire, that God has put on our heart, that can only be filled by the Savior. The peace and the comfort that you desire comes from the Holy Spirit, and you cannot have the Holy Spirit unless you've surrendered your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you need to realize that there is a God that loved you so much that sent His Son to come down from heaven where He was worshipped perfectly that He took your sins and placed them on Himself, that He went to a cross and He took your place. 
that he died in your stead, that you have become justified by his son's work, and he gives you his righteousness so you can go to the God of the universe and be with him in relationship forever. And if you were to call on the name of Jesus, you too would be saved. We're going to have a baptism today. I love baptisms. <laughs> because what we see is there's a, a wonderful young woman who says, I love Jesus. I want everyone to know that I love Jesus that he is God, that he died for my sins and that I am committed to following him and being led by his spirit in everything that I do. Where are we in this? Let's pray.